Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And we've done a number of studies on Deuteronomy, and uh, recently, and uh, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 11, but there's also a lot of information that we have on Deuteronomy 16 and 17, and Deuteronomy 27. And Deuteronomy is kind of one of those uh, books in the Bible that... uh, Supposedly it was written by Moses and was containing kind of a recap of what was important and what was not important as far as the kingdom of God as viewed from the point of view of Moses. The problem today is is that our view of Moses is often coming from the Pharisees uh, out of the Old Testament as translated by you know, the Masoretic text, etc., way back in 700 uh, A.D. And uh, they were just as inaccurate in understanding the ancient text as they were at the time of Christ. And Christ called them out on that, that they didn't really know Moses, because if they knew Moses, they would know him. And yet they studied the Torah, they spoke Hebrew, why on earth did they have it such a hard time figuring out, which is, isn't that a pretty simple book? I mean, they had translated it into Greek. Uh, they read Hebrew. Uh, they had the Septuagint, which appears that Jesus is quoting from. Yet, Jesus' claim was that they did not know Moses. And uh, that uh, they were sitting in the seat of Moses, which was a government. But they didn't really know Moses, and we should not be doing what they were doing. Well, somebody sitting in the seat of your government today, whether you're in Australia or United States or Canada, all these countries all over the world, you could go, you know, a couple hundred years ago, you could go a lot of different places, and there really wasn't any government around. And uh, there might be people who claim certain areas as a part of their government, but uh, the people were pretty pretty remote in a lot of places. And uh, the burden of government and the and the help from government was uh, on a very minimal basis. But in Deuteronomy, as we've looked at in Deuteronomy seven and, and eleven, and it talks about the Tower of Babel, and we've done a whole show on the Tower of Babel and. Uh, we've added to our pages uh, on that subject that the Tower of Babel was really about building a city and a tower. And we talked about the fact that this idea of building a city, in the Hebrew, the idea of a city was a terror. That's what the word actually meant uh even with the Masoretic text and the, the Old Testament that we have. It tells us that in your concordance, in your, in your Strong's concordance and, uh, and your Young's, uh, that this idea of a city was uh, something to be afraid of, to be concerned about. 
And, of course, what they're really talking about is the law that men make for themselves. That's the legal systems that were established in these cities and the, the means by which they established those legal systems, which is by consent, by contract, by compact. And, of course, there's lots of people running around today that are telling you that, uh, you know, there is no contract, there is no compact, and, and they'll pull out little phrases from laws that say that, you know, contracts have to be explicit and have to be, but they're actually pulling a lot of those phrases out of a legal system. They can't seem to divide the idea of law, fundamental law, nomos as the Greeks would call it, or jus juris as the Romans would call it, this fundamental natural law, jus naturale. Uh, they can't seem to realize that there is a basic law in the universe, this cause and effect that we've talked about, which brings about the wrath of God, which is not really God getting all ticked and, and stomping his feet and throwing a kind of temper tantrum and smiting somebody. We're putting God in the context of maybe our emotions. I, I saw a video this week of people, they, it was a compilation of videos of people who just kind of throw a temper tantrum in a store and they're just walking around the store knocking stuff off the shelves, going up and down the aisles, you know, like... They got nothing better to do than just to mess things up because <laughs> they're upset because their order was taking too long or whatever. And they're just acting absolutely crazy. And nobody seems to know how to do anything about it. It kind of reminded me of uh, uh, the guy who was living in the cemetery that came, th- that everybody was afraid of, and, you know, and he's, going around and he's evidently dug up bones or something because he's gnawing on bones and it sounds like an absolute crazy maniac at the time of Christ. And Christ comes up and casts out the demons. And, and the demons in the guy actually talk to Christ. And, and, you know, we see these stories about casting out a demon that... Uh, goes into pigs and the pigs commit suicide and what the heck is that all about? <laughs> it all seems rather confusing. Of course, people who don't believe in the Bible just disregard that. People who say they do believe in the Bible, oh, they think that's absolutely true, but they don't really necessarily understand what they're really all talking about. Because they don't understand things like Moses. They don't understand things like the Tower of Babel that was building a city. They don't understand what the cities of blood are. The, you know, where we be the cauldron. You know, the city is the cauldron and we be the flesh in the cauldron. And we take a bite out of one another. When we eat of the benefits of the cauldron, we, we eat of the flesh of our neighbor. The sweat, the toil and effort of our neighbor. Well, have we built the city of Babylon? Are we now the bricks of a new city of Babylon? I mean, that's what Revelation is talking about, this this mystery Babylon, this secret Babylon. Is, is it really a secret or is it we just ignorant of it? We do. It's a secret to us because we don't see it because we, like the Pharisees at the time, that they thought they knew Moses but did not according to Christ, sat in darkness where they couldn't see the truth right before them. 
I saw an interview of a lady. Uh, I don't know what her rank is, but evidently she was a Democrat and she was being interviewed by Dan Bongino. I think it's an old interview. But uh, she was talking about corporations and, and uh, the wealthy don't pay any taxes. 55 corporations pay zero taxes. And uh, evidently, Dan Bongino had done some research. He'd actually read the study that she was referring to. And uh, she's saying, you know, nurses and, and waitresses and working people, they pay taxes, but these corporations didn't pay taxes. And, of course, what Dan Bongino pointed out is that the reason they didn't pay taxes, because he read the study, was because they took advantage of some items put in the CARES Act by Democrats. And so they were all, they're all corporations that support the Democrats, give money to corporations, uh, give money to uh, politicians running. These corporations give money to politicians that are running for office and they're giving it to Democrats who voted in these clauses in the CARES Act where they were able to not pay any taxes. It was only 55 corporations didn't pay any. I'm sure there were many more who who paid less taxes because they took advantage of these clauses, slipped into these tome-sized bills that are being passed on a daily basis. I, I remember my own son who, who actually ran for political office. It was the farthest thing from his mind. He worked in a mill. <laughs> and somebody said, you ought to run for office. And he thought, well, that's crazy. And, you know, he did his prayer about it and wondered about it and and pondered about it. And I don't, I stayed out of it. Uh, you know, he he was now in the system. He went into the system for a variety of reasons. We won't go into all that, but... Uh, if you get to know him, he comes to the the Burning Bush Festival. You can ask him, have you come to the Burning Bush Festival, which is coming up in August 21st out here in Summer Lake. So you can come and, and have conversations we won't have on the phone. <laughs> but anyway, he uh, uh, finally decided to run one. And his, one of his first assignments was as the liaison for the state capitol for the Oregon Congress. And that meant that bills that were going to appear in front of the state capitol were going to appear in front of these county commissioners. Which, a county commissioner is not a legislative office. It's a, it's a, you know, it's really supposed to be monitoring the budget of the county. And, but anyway, th- because this is just part of the procedure, when bills, so many thousands of bills are going to appear in front of the state, he was, uh, at this meeting, he was seeing the bills appear before uh, the uh, commissioners. And if they voted that it should go on farther, it would go on farther and appear before the Oregon Congress, the Oregon Legislature. And so, that's what he was doing. He did something different that the other people were doing. He actually read the bills. (laughs) He was pulling up copies of them, or and at least at first summaries, and then reading in farther. And 
and trying to get through them and uh, certain ones caught his eye and following the spirit he read certain ones and uh, there was one that was talking about forced vaccinations compelling people in a time of a pandemic to receive vaccinations well there was no pandemic at that particular time so why is this so important well the reality is these same bills were appearing all over the United States and uh, people were trying to get them passed and of course people had given money to congressmen to uh, from these uh, funds you know these different associations and when we did our article on uh, the uh, some of the clauses in uh, the Oregon Constitution showing that almost 80 to 90 percent of the people holding political office in the state of Oregon, including the governor herself, which I don't even want to call her the governor, was in violation of a felony because they were breaking the law and the receiving of funds. And we showed how this was actually the law and we showed how Behind the scenes, they started trying to change that law with the help of a lying media and whatever they do in these big counties where they have mail-in votes, they were able to supposedly change that law so that you could never change it back. <laughs> so that they weren't felons anymore. But of course, they were felons when they got into office because they all were breaking this law. Article 2, Section 22, I think it is. You can go look that up on uh, uh, Preparing You and, and read the whole history. But they were all criminals. I mean, they're literally criminals. And they literally did not have a right to their office and were uh, operating outside the law when they presented these bills and these rules. And so it's all illegal. It's all breaking the law. But all the people are acquiescing to it. And if you go read our our uh, articles on the Constitution, the Constitution was illegal as well. This is according to attorneys and fundamental law books in the United States. The Constitution was not legally ratified. Because they already had a legal contract under the Articles of Confederation that they could not implement any changes in the Articles of Confederation unless they had not a majority vote, but unanimous agreement amongst the 13 colonies. And this was a principle that goes back to the original Declaration of Independence, the first draft which we mentioned in a show recently, where Thomas Jefferson was calling out slavery and condemning it and condemning the king for his promotion of slavery and wanted to end slavery in America in the original Declaration of Independence. But he was forced to take that clause out by two states who did not agree with it. Of the 13 colonies... Eleven of them wanted to take that out, were willing to, not excuse me, not take it out, but leave it in, condemning slavery. Now, that you're not going to hear this in your CRT, <laughs> critical race theory, and, and new history, uh, you know, because we were all white supremacists, but uh, 
11 of the states were willing to leave that in. Only two states wanted it out, which is North Carolina and Georgia. And and they even had thoughts of ending slavery. But they just think, thought that we can't do it now because they were their economies were too dependent upon slavery. But you don't know that history. You're, they've changed the history books. You go back and read our articles on schools as tools. They've been changing your history books since at least 1908. And, of course, the Bible they've been changing since 08. <laughs> they were actually changing what the Bible meant, in the Old Testament anyway, back before the Septuagint was translated into Greek by 70 government-paid scholars. So there's always been this effort to change the way in which you view history and view uh, scripture. Scripture's just writings, uh, historical writings, uh, sometimes filled with metaphors and allegories, trying to tell you information, share information. Even the myths of some of the religions uh, of the Teutons, etc., they're trying to express ideas about the character of man and how the universe works. And of course, that's what they're telling you with the story of the Garden of Paradise and the sin of Adam, of Adam and Eve, the Cain bludgeoning his brother, the altars of Cain. But if you unmoor the symbolism and the allegories and the metaphors from what the stories are trying to impart to you, you will miss you will possibly miss the meaning but if the holy spirit is real the real holy spirit not the emotional holy spirit the manufactured holy spirit the image of the holy spirit that you hold in your mind but the real holy spirit were in you you would see what the truth is about those stories or at least realize that there's more to those stories and look into it in greater depth. But in order to look into it in greater depth, you have to look into yourself in greater depth. You have to turn on the light in your own heart and mind and be willing to see the truth. So that's what we do here a lot of times is we bring out truths, things that you can look up. The lady who was being interviewed by Dan Bongino, he pointed out that the study shows that these 55 corporations that did not pay taxes were able to not pay taxes because the Democrats slipped in clauses in the bill that the media doesn't tell you about that allowed them to uh, put off paying taxes and to bring deductions forward so that they didn't have to pay taxes, including carbon credits. Uh, back to the story with my son is that he killed that bill because they were going to take a voice vote and he said, no, I think we have to actually take a vote and then he said a few comments and people changed their vote and it was voted down so that bill never appeared in front of the Congress that particular year. And over the next few years, especially when the pandemic, this so-called pandemic began, Uh, a great many people were awakened to the fact that there's a lot more to the truth than they're getting from their media. 
when we pointed out to a lot of activists that that most of the congressmen and senators you supported were felons because they were violating the law that was put in by the people uh, almost a dozen years ago, they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to address it because they liked that guy, even though he's a felon. So they turned a blind eye to the fact that he's a felon and broke the law. And, you know, he can't hold the office. He is not legally holding the office. The governor, uh, Kate Brown, let's call her Kate Brown, was not legally holding the office through all of her term. Because she was elected when that was still the law. And so the law says that if you're elected, violating the terms of this law, you're a felon and you don't have a right to the office. But she continued to operate in the office. But all the people were apathetic. They were slothful. And they acquiesced. And, of course, the Constitution was not legally ratified, but everybody acquiesced. Because most Americans opposed the Constitution. Just the same as most Americans opposed slavery. But yet, you would, if you learn history from your modern people who have gone to these schools that have been changing the way in which people view history for over a hundred years, you you don't even know what history is. And so we point this out so that people will say, well, I'm willing to see this, but I'm not willing to see this stuff you tell about the Bible. You're undermining the Bible. No, I'm undermining what you think the Bible says. Jesus was undermining what the Pharisees thought the Bible said. The Old Testament said. And they wanted to kill him because he was attacking their delusion. I'm going to attack your delusion. I'm going to try to do it so that you don't get too upset right away. (laughs) But hopefully you will start to see that you haven't been told the whole truth about the Bible. You weren't told the whole truth about Article 2, Section 22 in the Oregon Constitution. You weren't told the whole truth about uh, the CARES Act. You weren't told the whole truth about COVID. You weren't told the whole truth about the vaccine. Uh, and if I told you all the truth about all those things at one time, your, your brain would probably explode. <laughs> so, But what we want to tell you the truth about more than anything else is what is the solution to all these lies? And part of that, you know, I can't even tell you on the air what's behind all this. It's too shocking. It's too unbelievable. I can give you, you know, it's like we're we're tracking the bobcat, the, the predator. But we want to make sure nobody gets eaten. And that's what we'll talk about when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what was Nimrod really doing with his city and his tower that he was building? Where he was going to turn clay into bricks as if they were stone. Now, if you 
if you were reading earlier when uh, Moses was writing about Abraham and uh, the altars of clay and the altars of stone, and uh, those stones were actually stones. They weren't bricks as stones. Uh, they fit together. They they weren't bound together by slime, as some translations will put it, which was, you know, like this tar, this sticky stuff. That's not how they were bound together. But uh, it was a system that he was creating so that he was known as a mighty provider instead of the Lord. And we have articles, you know, if you go uh, uh, go to our uh, article on Babylon and try to find out what Babylon is about. We have links to a lot of other articles that will uh, tell you what he was doing and why he was doing it. That he was creating this system and the people were enticed by this system and uh, they joined up. They came to Nimrod's city and to Nimrod's tower and he turned clay into bricks as if they were stone instead of the altars of Abraham uh, and uh, Moses which were altars of clay and stone. That were to, the stone was to fit together without hewing it. The bricks fit together because you, you form the bricks, you fire them so they cannot change their shape, and then you use bricks as stones. These are all metaphors. Talking about a welfare state, where Nimrod is a mighty provider instead of the Lord. Now, if you go look at your translations, it will say a mighty hunter before the Lord. But it actually really should be translated, and we show you in our articles on Nimrod. You can go read the articles. We show you the original Hebrew. We show you the letters of the Hebrew. We show you how the word is used everywhere else. Nimrod was a provider instead of the Lord. And how did the Lord provide for the people? Well, he wrote upon their hearts and their minds, and through these altars of clay and stone, he created a social welfare system that bound the people together, created social bonds of loyalty, of love, because they were based on charity and free will offerings. But the city and tower of Babylon are not going to be based on free will offerings. It's going to be based on forced offerings. And those forced offerings will provide welfare and the needs of the people. And this is what Nimrod was setting up. Just during the break, I added a link to a page that we've written a long time ago to try to bring the contents of the Bible into your reality. Into understanding what is really going on behind the scenes. So we we tell you what the metaphors are, what the allegories are. We show you how the Hebrew language or the Greek language in the New Testament is used in a certain way. I just, I haven't really finished it. I almost never finish a page, but I just added a page this morning on the word praise. How many different words 
in the Greek and the Hebrew are translated into the single word praise. And are they always translated into the word praise? And what, why did the authors use different words and we just use this word praise? Are we losing something when we don't understand? Well, you won't lose anything if you're really led by the Holy Spirit. But if you're really born again and led by the Holy Spirit, you won't be doing works of iniquity. You, you will love the light. You will love the truth. And then when I attack the delusions of the world, you'll go like, yeah, that's true. I can see that's true. And that's, that's the first step. It's not actually even a step. It's just, it's the first, uh, perception that you realize there is a step. <laughs> you haven't actually taken the step because Praising isn't doing. You know, like people talk about Jesus being the Son of God, or or there's one phrase in John where he is the only begotten Son of God, and we'll look at that in greater detail at another time. But the reality is, is that a lot of the times you see the phrase Son of God in the New Testament, you're actually hearing from demons <laughs> and the devil tempting God. And even when the angel supposedly says to Mary uh, that you're going to have this son and he will be called the son of God. That's what it says. He will be called the son of God. Now I'm not saying he's not the son of God because you're all children of God or you're supposed to be children of God. But you may not be obedient children of God. Uh, and so that, that may be an important factor, but we'll deal with that and we do on a regular basis. But the reality is that we're all children of God. But this, this phrase begotten, son of God, that, that seems pretty specific that Jesus is actually begotten son of God. Except for the word begotten there doesn't necessarily mean begotten. <laughs> I mean, it could mean begotten. That's fine. I just kind of worried about people creating whole doctrines based around maybe single verses or a couple of verses that are translated questionably. But that's okay because the early church had all kinds of teachings, and you can call them doctrines, but they were just the teachings of this guy or that guy and his interpretation, his opinion. I mean, one of the words that they translate into praise actually in the Greek just means opinion. It's just your opinion. And of course, I have an opinion, you have an opinion. But God's opinion is reality by the definition of whatever God is. The God is. There's, Paul tells us there are God's many. And, of course, that takes us back. Well, if they're God's many, or them that say they are God's, and they're saying that Jesus is the Son of God, was anybody else being called the Son of God at the time of Jesus? Was it just Jesus who was being called the Son of God? Uh, You know, I mean, the Pharisees seemed to be so upset because some people were calling Jesus the Son of God. And when they asked him, he says, Thou sayest. 
you know, kind of his response was, you say I'm God. They say I'm God. But uh, the reality is there was another guy being called the Son of God. And he held a position much like Nimrod. It was Augustus Caesar. And before Augustus Caesar, Julius Caesar was called God. Son of God. But he was called Son of God. Really, that that kind of came into place after they assassinated him. Uh, but Augustus Caesar was called the Son of God even when he was still alive. And the same is true of Trajan and Hadrian and Caligula and Tiberius. They were all called sons of God. And, and Augustus was actually, the, the legend around that is even more bizarre. We won't get into that. Maybe when we do a show on Augustus, we will. But the point is, is that Augustus was also, whose name, real name was Octavius, he was also called the Sator of Rome, which translates the Savior of Rome. And we could do a whole program on that. I'll, I'll probably save it for an afternoon show. But the reality is is that uh, we don't understand all the bits and pieces. We, we aren't putting the pieces of the puzzle together where they actually fit. And they do fit. Because although you'll never discover God by logic... You only discover God because it's a gift of faith where you are made aware of the nature of God, the nature of creation, the nature of the universe, the cause and effect. And you're only made aware because of the fact that you're eating of the tree of life again. You're eating of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. But you have to really be born again of the Spirit. And there's many levels to that, but there's a lot of people running around out there that think they're born again. They'll even give you the date. But they're still workers of iniquity. So here I come along and try to show you what the works of iniquity are. Because Jesus said many people would be doing these works of iniquity and think they're Christians. I'm sure they think they're born again. They think they're listening to the Holy Spirit. But that's their opinion. But they have a lot of faith in their opinion. And that's very dangerous to have faith in your opinion. I don't have much faith in my opinion. Ultimately, I I have to do what God puts on my heart. And I'm always questioning, is this God or is this some, some evil source of this idea that I'm being given? And, you know, I'm willing to bet my life and soul that that's what I am pursuing. And But I'm always willing to, you know, am I being selfish somewhere? Am I not telling the truth? Well, here's a, here's a notice. I just put this link on our Babylon page. If you, if you went to our Babylon page, you might want to refresh it. Because during the break, I, I added a link <laughs> on the page. And uh, you'll find it underneath the picture. But uh, it's a, a link to a page on Social Security. So what does Social Security have to do with Babylon? Well, why did everybody go to Babylon? They went to Babylon because Nimrod was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. 
he was going to provide them with security. I mean, life was dangerous. I mean, why did they go to Egypt? Because they they ran out of food, but there was food in Egypt. So they went into bondage in Egypt because they had food in Egypt. You have a lot of food in your country, I'm sure. Will you, you know, right now there are riots going on with farmers. And they're bringing out the military against people in, uh, over there in Denmark and because they're, they're, uh, talking about, you know, in the Netherlands, they're talking about reducing the food supply. You know, the farmers aren't going to be able to raise the animals that they need to feed the people. They're going to reduce that. I guess they're, I don't know what they're going to do. I'll eat soy or something. But anyway, they're rioting, you know, and why are they doing this? What is really going on? Just like the, the lady who kept quoting that 55 corporations didn't pay a dime. And he points out statistically, you know, the rich, is she saying the rich don't pay any taxes? This is what she eventually said. He's pointing out that 40% of all taxes is paid by 1% of the people in the United States. 40% of the taxes. But then, you know, there's layers to this. Okay, 40% or more than 40% of the taxes are paid by 1% of the wealthy people in America. But none of that pays for the benefits. It's only paying the interest on the loan. What loan? Well, we've been borrowing money because unlike what it says in Deuteronomy 17, you gave the power to your government to borrow money against the assets that are held by the government. And then you gave them the power to get more assets by letting them print money. People say that the Federal Reserve system is unconstitutional show me where that's unconstitutional it i can show you where it is constitutional because of the contract clause that's the thing is that constitutions are written to restrict the power of government not grant power to government and the five things that you were to write in your constitution according to Deuteronomy 17 to restrict the power of government, you only put one of them in. And then you don't, you ignore that because you don't understand it. And you don't understand it because you went to public school and you went to public school because you coveted your neighbor's goods. You forced your neighbor to build you a public school by threatening to take his property away if he didn't pay in to your desire to have free education. You had already departed from the ways of Christ and the ways of Moses and the ways of Abraham because you created a system where you forced the contributions of your neighbor to build your public schools. You've already denied Christ with that little idea. It's not a new thing. You've been doing that for over a hundred years. But here I'm going to read you a notice. You know, this, this notice, you know, President Roosevelt, FDR, August 14th, 1935. And this actually was regulations are published by the Social Security Board of Washington, D.C. And they say, notice! 
Beginning January 1st, 1937, your employer will be compelled by law to deduct a certain amount from your wages every payday. This is in compliance with the terms of the Social Security Act, sponsored and signed by President Roosevelt, August 14, 1935. The deductions begins with 1% and increases until it reaches 3%. It's already over 14%. There is no guarantee, this is what it says, there is no guarantee that the fund that uh, the fund thus collected will ever be returned to you. That's what it says in the notice. What happens to the money is up to each Congress. No benefits of any kind before 1949. This not a voluntary plan. This is not. They actually capitalize not. This is not a voluntary plan. Your employer must make this deduction. So, right away we know it's not voluntary. It's forced. Did they have a legal right to force this? Absolutely. Because who's the notice to? Who's the notice going to? Is it going to everybody? No, it's a notice to certain people that have signed up for certain things. Benefits. Benefits at the expense of other people, but benefits. And they became surety for debt. You know, Thomas Sowell, uh, who is an American economist and a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, and author of over 28 books, I think it's over 29, maybe over 30 books by now, uh, states, when your Social Security taxes get to Washington, they are spent right then and there. What preserves the illusion of a trust fund is that the Social Security system is given government bonds in exchange for the money that Congress takes and spends. But no matter what kind of accounting, sleight of hand, you use, you cannot spend and save the same money. Those bonds in the Social Security Trust Fund, and he puts that in quotes, Trust Fund, because there is no such thing, represents no tangible assets. Not houses, not factories, not cars, not trains. They are promises that can be kept only by taxing future taxpayers. Who are those future taxpayers? Your children. See, the desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, desire for the dainties of the king, the benefits of the king, is a desire for the wages of unrighteousness because he's going to force the contributions. He's going to turn all the people into bricks. 
and use them as if they're stones. Mostly his employees as stones. And he's going to force you to pay in on his altars of legal charity. Because it's legal charity. It's not fervent charity. Christ preached fervent charity. Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, FDR preached legal charity. Forced charity. Which is not charity. It's kind of an oxymoron. If it's forced, it's not charity. Your churches went along with this. They say they praise Jesus. They say they worship Jesus. They say they worship God. If they're Jewish, they say they worship God and they're following Moses. Moses did it all with free will offerings. He wasn't to force the flow of offerings. He was to do it with free will offerings. He'd get into trouble if he tried to force an offering. And of course we see Saul forced an offering. Forced a sacrifice. For a good cause, but he forced a sacrifice. His kingdom would not stand. All you and your government of the people, for the people, and by the people have been forcing the offerings of your neighbor for a hundred years and more. Your kingdom will not stand. It's actually already fallen. You just haven't hit the sidewalk yet. And so we're showing you all this about the the modern day Nimrod, FDR, and LBJ, and Obama and Obamacare, the CARES Act, and your mountains of Samaria, your sources of truth, the media, they're not telling you the truth. We're telling you the truth. We have over a thousand audios going through all these different, and every single one of them has a pearl in them. And I guess... We kind of cast our pearls out there and swines can rent them under. <laughs> but, but if you actually are beginning to see that something's going on here. And, and with the COVID, all our articles, I went back and revisited. You know, you can look up vaccinated at preparing you. You can look up refuse, the word refuse up there in the search engine. They'll open up articles. We go through step by step. They have been changing laws for dozens and dozens of years. Just That's why I gave you that example of when my son, you know, he said, I think we need to have a regular vote. There's things in here that I see that uh, I don't know if it's a good idea. And since then, he's had lots of conversations. But he was just, he's the junior guy, just showed up. This uh, guy who's never been to public school a day in his life. <laughs> <laughs> no diploma, no uh, uh, n- none of those things that you're supposed to have in order to hold public office. <laughs> he wasn't even a member of a party, but he just said, "Oh, I'll throw my hat in the ring," and they elected him. They just elected him again, I think. So, uh, uh, but he stirred him up. He's telling the truth to men who aren't getting the truth from their media. They didn't get the truth from their schools. They they were brainwashed. They haven't got the truth from their pastors. But people want to go back to that comforter, their pastor, their their church meeting, 
where they sing and praise Jesus because that's their comforter. The Holy Spirit would say, no, you got to do what Christ said. And so I'm, I'm preparing. I thought I'd have it ready for today, but I'm preparing to go over a letter I got from some guys years ago. And uh, I responded to it at the time. But I, I think it's, it will be a good uh, prelude to getting into where we've gone wrong with religion. Where, where the Tresky of religion turned into the superstitio of modern religion. Where we went off the path from righteousness to apostasy. And that's what we're going to be talking about eventually. But we have to kind of work into it. <laughs> but we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after this brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So if you you want to learn more about the Tower of Babel, just go to our article at uh, Genesis 11. and uh, Or our article on Babylon at Preparing You. And we have... I don't know how many footnotes we have on those pages, 32 in Genesis 11. And uh, links, there's probably hundreds of links to other articles. And we take you through word by word. You know, the different uh, uses, like one language, they all had one language we point out in the preceding chapter is that they said that they were divided according to their tongues, which is the normal word for language. And when it says we, they all had one language, uh, they actually use a word that's almost never translated language. So they all had one something, but it wasn't necessarily language. But the reason I point that out is so that you can start to see that uh, your preconceived notions about these things, I'm not saying it's mistranslated, it's just it's very difficult to translate. But ultimately, our comforter is not the Bible. It certainly shouldn't be our opinion of the Bible. It should be the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, there is a Holy Spirit. There is a truth. And that if we are eating of the tree of life, we will know the truth. If we're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is our own imagination, we're going to come up with all kinds of different interpretations, different opinions. But the truth is the opinion of God. The truth of the Holy Spirit, it's it's one. And that should bring us into union. Our loyalty is not really to each other, but to the truth. This is why we see these, these statements, these proverbs almost, of Jesus talking about, you know, that a man has to love the truth, basically, more than his own family, more than his own life. I don't think a lot of people are to that point. They love their doctrine. They love what they imagine to be true. But they don't really love the truth. And because of that, they sit in darkness. And when you sit in darkness, you can stumble over lots and lots of different things. And you won't won't even know what you're about to stumble over until you stumble on it. And, you know, like during the whole COVID thing. You know, I could see that there was something, but then I had to go look things up and show you scientific studies. All of that's available at Preparing You, uh, where you can link to these actual studies. Because you could actually go and, and read the Suzuki studies, you, you know, like a, 
the one doctor, uh, Ryan, Ryan Cole, I guess it is, uh, was shocked that nobody was doing autopsies of people who died of COVID. Dr. Suzuki was. I knew about Dr. Suzuki doing these autopsies before I even knew there was a Ryan Cole. Not, not taken away from him. But he has hundreds of autopsies and came to all kinds of conclusions long before the vaccine. In the very early, early stages, I, I linked to his report. I've communicated with him, written him. We've written back and forth. But he hasn't retired yet, so he can't speak up any more than the report that he was very careful not to say anything that might be considered anti-vax. But he warned. His warnings are all proving to be true. But he's not in the media. Because your mountains of Samaria, the, your source of truth, is not going to tell you the truth. We were telling you the truth before anybody even knew about it. And its only value is the fact that you can kind of see this unfold. You need to see the truth. You need to see your the lies that you have accepted. The falsehoods that you have followed. You need to see that so that light will guide your footsteps. And not the darkness. You won't be lost in the darkness. Because you, you can't call me up and say, oh, okay, what am, what am I supposed to do next? I don't know. Holy Spirit doesn't tell me what you're supposed to do next. Holy Spirit wants to tell you, but you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And you will not hear the Holy Spirit if you don't. If you're not humble enough to see the truth about the lies that you've already accepted. Now, how do you let go of those lies? How, you know, cause discovering that people have been lying to you for years and you've been following the wrong way and you haven't been following Christ. You've been following an image of Christ created by men who didn't know Christ, just like all the people following the Pharisees. We're following men who didn't know Moses. And people had to, you know, it was really hard for them to change. It, you know, Paul, uh, Peter, I mean, he, I'm sure he wept over the fact that he had to do a lot of soul searching. Because he didn't have the courage not to deny Christ. And in that process he began to see more and more of the truth and suddenly he's doing miracles. How How is that possible? Well, it wasn't possible without soul searching. Without seeing the falsehoods that you've accepted and even promoted. When you see that you've done this wrong and these wicked things and followed after the ways of unrighteousness, now you have to repent of that. But how do you let go of the trauma of that knowledge? You have to forgive all the people that told you the lie. I had to forgive all my college professors. (laughs) You know, because... And and why? I, I forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. They were in darkness too. I don't curse the darkness. You light the candle. 
you like the truth. And there isn't a show that we haven't done that we've shared some truth that other people were not willing to see. So they go back and, and they're all available at preparing you and at hisholychurch.net. And you really should be listening to them and sharing them with other people. You, you have to come with the heart of Christ. Christ came that others might be saved. He came to share the truth with others. It's not enough for you to listen. You have to become a doer of the word. And one of the things you have to do is care about others that they hear the truth. Now, a lot of them aren't going to hear the truth. And Christ warns about casting your pearls to swine. But we're not supposed to judge everybody. You, you're supposed to be following the Holy Spirit. And is the Holy Spirit telling you to share these things with other people? Some, you know, I had a minister talking to me and saying that, uh, just in the last week, talking to me about certain people were asking, well, is there proof of this? Is there proof of that? And I said, well, it's all over the place. I have it everywhere. And it's like I have to write a specific article just for that. <laughs> no, uh, and, and I do. And, and from time to time, I do write these specific articles. But it's all there. It's all overlapping. It's all interconnected. And, you know, cleaning out your house, cleaning out your temple is sweeping out the nonsense. You know, it's it's looking for the dirt and grime that's in the corners. And that's your journey. And we've made available lots of audios to kind of show you, but people are going to cling to their imagination. They're going to cling to what they imagine to be true because that has given them comfort. Because they want to believe they're right. You have to be willing to believe you're wrong in order to let go of the lie to see the truth. It's And it's a process. You know, I mean, we have... Uh, somebody gave me one of these books on white... Uh, Fragility, uh, by, uh, can't remember, D'Angelo, is that her name? Um, I've got it here in the article, I just pulled up the article. But, uh, they talk about white supremacy. And of course, like we talked in, in talking about Thomas Jefferson wanted to end slavery, wanted to free all his slaves, but he wasn't allowed to do it by the legal system of the day. He wanted to change that and tried numerous times to change that. But he wasn't able to do it. Could he have gotten out of debt? Well, maybe he could have gotten out of debt. You know, debt's a rough thing. But uh, he couldn't have done all the other things if he just focused on getting out of debt. So we make choices and he made choices and he struggled with those. But what they want to do now is destroy your heroes. Destroy, you know, there was some good in Jefferson. There was some good in Benjamin Franklin. There was some good in George Washington. And there was some bad in all those men. And Madison, Hamilton, all those guys. They were human, like you. There's good in you and there's bad in you. There's a war in you between the good and the bad. Between the selfishness and the, and the righteousness and the slothfulness and uh, 
the industry. And who's going to win? Hopefully God wins. As you turn yourself over to the leading of that Holy Spirit and it will guide you through this maze of lies that has been constructed all around you. But one of the things is you have to turn what you're seeing as true into action. You have to be a doer of the word. This is why I'm going to do this study on praise. Because you have all these different words that are supposedly mean praise. You know, what what are these different words that supposedly mean praise? (laughs) You know, uh, what what are they really talking about? What are they uh, what are they really trying to say with these different words? Well, that's that. That's an interesting point. What what do they mean by Son of God? When they say Son of God, what did they mean by Savior? Because like I said, Augustus Caesar was called the Son of God. He was considered to be the Prince of Peace. That's why they have the Pax Romana. That means the Roman Peace. And the Savior. He was going to provide the social security for the people. But what was different between Augustus Caesar and Jesus Christ? Because this is where the conflict between the two. Unfortunately, most modern Christians are over on the side of Caesar. They don't. Jesus isn't their king. They like to say he is. But they're eating at the table of the king. And way back, way back, in Proverbs it was telling you that if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you those deceitful dainties, those deceitful meats. They are a snare and a trap. They're going to make you merchandise and have you curse your children with that debt we were talking about in the first part of the show. But you you have reached out to Caesar for your security. If if you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, you were kicked out of the social welfare system of the Pharisees because it was built like the social welfare of FDR and Nimrod. It was based on forced offerings. And and you're not supposed to do that. That's a covetous practice. Desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor is certainly covetousness. And to do it to men who exercise authority, even call themselves benefactors, is anti-Christ. Yet every single church I know, almost, they all say it's okay to go to the government and apply for benefits. I have a friend who's a, a pastor, and he was hesitant about applying for Social Security when he was coming up to being 70 years old, 72 years old. And he didn't want to do it. But all his Christian children talked him into it. Yeah. Take the benefit. Take the benefit. And I'm not saying that you're condemned for taking the benefit. I'm saying you're condemned for not repenting and turning around and seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness. 
And see, we got all these people that are saying that all you have to do is profess Jesus. Confess Jesus, they even say. But what's confession? You confess them with your mouth. But do you confess them with your deeds? Because we know the Nicolaitan don't confess Christ with their deeds. We know the error of Balaam is that they, with their deeds, they're going back into the confusion of Babylon. Because they're looking to Nimrod to provide them with their welfare and their benefit. But they get such good feelings when they go to church and sing their songs. And, and you know, I mean, it's it's not just women. It's not just men. You know, they talk about, you know, silly women creep into houses and, and fool silly women. I mean, women want to feel socially secure. It's a natural thing. And men to some degree, to want to feel socially secure. And they want guarantees. And so they, the government calls these entitlement programs, where you're entitled. I mean, like, how many people think that social security is an entitlement program? I could ask for a show of hands, but I can't see your hand. But I just read to you that their notice is that you're not entitled to anything. You're not entitled to any benefits. I can show you on that same page, Social Security at Preparing You. They're telling you. The Supreme Court says you have no entitlement. They can continue to collect. Of course, what was 1% became 3%, became 5%, 7%, 14%. They can keep collecting from your labor because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. They can keep taking a portion of your labor that And, you know, in the bondage of Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. And you say, well, we only have 14%. Well, 14% is the Social Security payment taken right off the top for everybody up until they've taken a certain amount each year. And then it rolls over to the, the same amount starting in the next year. But the reality is, is that they also take income tax. That's why you owe income tax. So you, you had 20% tax on your labor when you were in the bondage of Egypt. What are you paying now? Well, we know 14 right off the top in Social Security. But how much more? And then there's property tax and sales tax and and state tax, and gasoline tax. Yeah, I heard the, over a million barrels. Biden is supposedly, they're not restricting oil. They're not restricting uh, drilling. It's it's the gas station people that are at the blame here. The fact that he even says that is just astounding that he gets away with that, and the media just lets him do it, pretty much. But he just sold millions of barrels of oil to China. From your strategic reserves. You're in the midst of a war right now. And the Republicans aren't going to save you. Repentance. And seeking the kingdom of God. Might save you. Because that's what Jesus said. That you know. That's what John says. Is that. God sent. 
Jesus that you might be saved. But if you're going to be condemned, if you're going to be destroyed, let it be unjustly. You don't want it to be destroyed justly. Saul fell on his own sword justly. He was going to lose his kingdom because he forced an offering. You guys have been forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare for over a century and more and more every year. Your kingdom will not stand. You're in opposition to Christ because you're engaged in those covetous practices that Peter told you would make you merchandise, bring you back into the yoke of bondage, entangle you again in that yoke of bondage, which we show you how we do th- how, how this was done. So anyway, I did write more on our, my page on that, and I have audios there on that page as well down at the bottom on white fragility, but I, this idea of white supremacy, uh, white supremacy, you know, is generally this belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society, typically to the exclusion or detriment of other racial or ethnic groups. You know, I don't know hardly any white supremacists. Most most of the white people I know don't even think in those terms. But what what does give you supremacy is righteousness, and it doesn't really give it to you. You, it's because you give it to God. There, there's a variety of ways in which people imagine they are superior uh, to other people, and it. it Maybe based on race, it may be, you know, race is kind of convenient because you don't have to wear a special uniform or tag. You, you can usually look at somebody and say, well, I think that person's black or that person's Asian or that person is, you know, Filipino because we have this look. So it's convenient for somebody who wants to put other people down to do it with race. And, and they do it regularly with race. But you can do it with tribes. You can do it with political parties. You can, I mean, Cain did it with Abel. But you can't say that was racist. But he thought he was superior enough to clunk his brother. To force his brother out of the way. So that he would be superior. You know, I mean, the Armenians and the Turks do it, the Japanese and the Koreans, the Japanese and the Chinese. Uh, of course, there's the Holocaust, which I don't really think they call it, talk about the Jewish Holocaust, but that's a racist statement to begin with, because gypsies also died. Uh, the people of Roma, uh, that were, you know, they had prided themselves in not being a part of any country. They were kind of their own nomadic people throughout Europe. They were rounded up. Of course, dissidents were rounded up. And lots of people did die. But even more died with the communists, both in the Soviet Union and the Road of Bones and and uh, the Cultural Revolution of Mao. Millions of people died. Or you can go to, you know, uh, Africa and the 
Hutu and and other people killing each other with machetes. There's always somebody who thinks he's superior to somebody else. And where does that start? Well, it starts with the idea that you have a right to force your neighbor to pay property tax so that you can have free school or free free cemetery. You want to grass on your grandfather's grave. And and uh, I had this discussion with somebody I like and respect, but I I told them. You know, they because it was a minimal amount, they wanted to have uh you know water sprinkled in the cemetery so there'd be green grass in the cemetery. Though of course you're not gonna have to have somebody put in the system and somebody turn the sprinklers on and somebody's gonna have to mow the lawn and so they put that on the tax rolls. It's only you know, like an extra six dollars or it's not very much money because there's a lot of people and not very many cemeteries. But uh, it's still forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you want. You 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 can't be a Christian and want to do that. But yet they all do. How in the world do they do that? You know, one of the worst holocausts were in the Ukraine. In the Ukraine now is you know a pawn in this ridiculous Ukrainian war that could have been easily avoided. If you had honest leaders instead of men who like to exercise authority one over the other. But uh, Ukraine had the Holodomor where thousands of Ukrainians in just a couple of years, 1932, 1933, a couple of years, thousands upon thousands of people. I, I, I actually don't know what the limit is. That, and there's a number of different estimates. They starved to death. Because they created food shortages. Which is what we're seeing them doing in Europe and Netherlands and, and the U.S. And curtailing fertilizer. And, and uh, you know, I know a lot of people that were going to farm their property to improve their crop. They have a crop that they have to farm every five to six to seven years. And they were ready to f- plant a new crop. You know, plow the old one in. And plant a new one. And they decided not to do it. Because the fuel price is up. And the fuel price is up because it's manipulated up. It's jacked up on purpose. It's part of a plan. But you don't see that plan. You don't know that plan. And you don't know what to do about it. Well, what to do about it is repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, in that one year of 1933 uh, to 34, at least, uh, or actually 31 and, uh, I guess it spiked between 31 and 34. But anyway, uh, so that would be like 1933. But 5 million people perished of hunger all across the USSR. Among them, according to the study uh, conducted by a team of Ukrainian demographers. So, yeah, lots of people died. And that that's, they died of hunger. How much suffering, if 5 million died, 25 million suffered. Uh, so, it it was an amazing thing. But that is... 
that was a condition created by a condition of the soul. That was a plague that was created by the masses and the heart of the masses. It, it wasn't just created by Stalin. Uh, but it was, you know, I mean, he gave his orders, but people followed those orders. And they did a stupid thing. You know, it's, it's like, I'll give you an example of it that's just going on right now. In a number of cities, they have uh, passed rent control uh, bills. Because rent's too high and these money-grubbing landlords are trying to... But what normally when they pass a rent control bill, and I should say normally in some cases, they have the good sense... Or if they really had good sense, they wouldn't pass rent control bills. But uh, they had the good sense to say that the rent control is not on future building projects. So you could actually go and build a new apartment complex or a new housing development, and they will not be subject to the rent control. And, of course, that motivates people to borrow the money to or to reinvest, to... To build more housing. But if you impose the rent control on building more housing, uh, so that even if you built a house, you could not rent it for what you need to rent it for in order to pay back the loan or to pay the construction workers or pay for the materials. And so building new housing stops. I mean, it's just common sense. It's just going to stop. And it does. Every place they've done this. And when you point it out, the people go like, uh, uh, no, I'm doing what's best for our people. No, you're not. It's like the woman who's, who kept saying that, you know, even though faced with the fact that 40% of the taxes are paid by 1% of the wealthy, 1% of the people who are the top 1% of, of earners. And, and the reality is is that there's so many layers to the, our mistakes that there's no going back. So what is the solution? And, of course, we should spend this last half hour on talking about the solution because we have our own Holodomor coming up. Uh, we, we actually are facing, you know, biological catastrophe unmatched in our known history of the world. And uh, and people are ill-prepared for it. I can see it coming. I mean, it's scary. But scaring you to try to get you to do it right won't work. What you have to do is what is right because you love doing what is right. It's written in your heart. It's written in your mind. And if you don't do it that way, you, you, it's not going to get done. It, it's not going to happen. Putting your life, your comfort, your convenience before the life of another is an act of supremacy or superiority that the law of nature finds unforgivable. There will be a cause and effect. This is what condemns you. 
This is why Christ says you lay down your life for your fellow man. So people come to me and they say, well, how do I get free? How do I, you know, because they, they see they're in the bondage of Egypt. That's it's pretty undeniable. So, you know, they want to get free. They'll they'll fill out some paperwork and, and they'll file some papers. And, and, you know, we have paperwork here at the church. We call it a sacred purpose trust form. Uh, what is it? It's it's that you recognize what Christ was actually doing, what Moses was actually doing, what Abraham was actually doing. Where they were setting up a system of social welfare that operated on charity. The same word charity is also translated love. So it's a social welfare system that operates on love for one another. Where you don't put your life, your comfort, your convenience before the life of others. You actually will equally... If not more than equally. I mean, how many people would lay down their life to save their child? Well, that's, that's, that's good. You, that's, that's the nature of Christ. Christ is gonna lay down his life for you. That, that, that is coming in the name of Christ. If you're putting your life, your comfort, your convenience before the life of others, that's not coming in the name of Christ, whether you use the word Yeshua or Yahashua or Yadavai, you're still not coming in his name because you're not coming in his character. So yeah, we have paperwork. Uh we should we should call it underwear. <laughs> we have an article. You look up our article on breaches. Go go to preparing you and, and search the word breaches, and uh, you'll find out why the people were supposed to sew the undergarments, the breeches of the Levites. They weren't. It doesn't have anything to do with needle and thread and linen and stuff like that. They say linen, but those are metaphors. They're all metaphors for something. You know how you make linen. Did you know that you can't make linen unless you baptize it first? <laughs> what? What? What did he say? Baptized linen? No. You grow flax. This is, you know, I'm, I, I have all this stuff floating around in my head somewhere. But God says, tell him the story about flax. Flax, you grow flax up. And flax is beautiful when it grows up. It's green. It grows up like in North Dakota. I've been in the flax fields in North Dakota. And uh, when it blossoms, the blossoms are blue. Uh, at least all the flax I ever saw. And when the wind blows, which it always does in North Dakota, <laughs> and it's like an ocean of blue. Where the waves flow over the field and you see this like blue waves and green as the flax grows. So anyway, you go and harvest the flax. Now they were growing that for the seed oil to get linseed oil, but if you were harvesting it for the cloth, uh, you cut that linen and then you have to soak it in, in like a water and the water will turn black and, uh, what you're doing is allowing the bacteria to break down the cellulose that's around it. And if you do it right, then you take it out and you lay it out on a field and you dry it. And then you hackle it. You beat it. 
and uh, actually just saw a video this week where somebody was doing that. I don't know why I saw that, but it just came across. And I, I've hackled the flax to make linen thread and then spun it into thread. I never, I never had enough to weave into cloth, but I have woven other materials into cloth. But there's a process. The warp and weft of the kingdom requires this weaving of certain characteristics into your society. And putting your life, your comfort, and your convenience before the life of others is going to make, undermine the cloth of your society, the nature of your society. In order to build the social bonds of a free society, you have to put the life, the comfort, and convenience of your neighbor before your own, or at least equal to your own. And that's going to take a little bit of hackling. It's going to, you're going to get beat up in that process a little bit. It's going to be difficult. But hopefully what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so the design of the social welfare system of the kingdom of God is based on personal sacrifice as a matter of free will choice. That's why they talk about free will offerings. In the Old Testament. And why they talk about charity in the New Testament. And why they talk about forced offerings destroying the kingdom of Saul. And Nimrod forcing the offerings of his people destroying that. And why Polybius said 150 years before John the Baptist. That the masses with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving him by the rule. uh, At the expense of others. Institute the rule of force and violence. And degenerate. So that what we talked about at the beginning of the show, those those people who walk into the stores and throw this hissy fit and start just knocking all the merchandise off the shelves and taking the food and making their own burrito and not paying for it and then spitting on the food that's still there. They just they're savages. They become this way because LBJ targeted the black community. And it wasn't all blacks that were doing it, but there were an unequal representation in the collage of videos of black people. But it's not because they're black. It's because of welfare. You want to save your country, end social welfare by the state. End legal charity. I don't think people are going to agree to that <laughs> at this point. But you can. Now, you may need help, so you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded and start creating a network of people who actually care about the life, comfort, and convenience of their neighbors. Care about their children as much as you care about your own. If you don't do that... You're not looking for the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that's the way the kingdom of God and his righteousness works is it works through charity, fervent charity, daily charity, regular charity, regular sacrifice of individuals by choice. Take away that choice and you turn the individual into a person, a member, a thing, merchandise. Of course, I'm quoting Archibald, <laughs> and, which I quote several times throughout the, the preparing you. Uh, 
Archibald McLeish. If you want to look him up at Preparing You, you can find that too. This is the only way to protect you from the Holdemar. Or why there's been 60 million aborted children in America. What's the reason? Because people put their life, their comfort, their convenience before that of their unborn child. That's why there's been 60 million abortions. And there's a price to pay for that. The condemnation of the whole nation. I mean, I can't imagine how bad it's going to get. But that's not what you should be trying to think about. You should think about repentance, thinking this other way of becoming the solution by becoming a follower of Christ, doing the ways of Christ. Christ never said go to church every Sunday and sit there and sing and listen to somebody tell you about the Bible. He said love one another. And and that's why you see the early church creating a daily ministration, not only locally, but one that could reach out as far away as Greece. The people in in Jerusalem, Greece is a long ways away. People in Australia is a long ways away to us. So we have this where you create the underwear of your ministers by filling out this form. And this is what we'll end up talking about when we talk about this notification of confusion. Which I didn't have ready for this this show. Because <laughs> we're working into showing you I, the whole history of how we went wrong. And, and it's the same thing. This is why you can go back to Proverbs and they tell you, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, for just eat those dainties of the rulers, the gifts, gratuities, and benefits that destroy Rome of the rulers. You know the if you if you want to do that, put a knife to your throat. In other words, you know you'd be better off cutting your throat than eating that because it'll destroy you. It will it degenerate you. It'll alter you. It will make you blind. It will take away your sight so that you see no more. And and you need to repent of that. You need to go the other way. And the other way is the way of Christ. And with that, you will begin to see again. And you will know what to do. But you have to start caring about other people. This is why you gather together. This is why you should not forsake the gathering together. And you should gather together like Christ commanded. In these ranks of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. And you gather for the purpose of Christ. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Is preaching the doctrines of Christ. Christ said... To love one another. Not not emotional love while you sit and do nothing. But you have to be... Because it's not those who say, Lord, Lord. It's not those who praise. It's not those who... I mean, people even think worshiping is saying 
you know, statements. Like, I, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. While you're still going to the men who exercise authority one over the other, who take away from your neighbor to give you benefits. See, you haven't, you confess with your lips, but with your actions, I see the error of Balaam and the error of the Nicolaitans. Where you're going the other way. Now, some of you, it was put on your heart to homeschool your children. Some of you look at home health. You know, in other words, try to take responsibility for your own health. That's great. A lot of people aren't going to do that. They're not going to give up their social welfare system through the state. They're going to keep coveting their neighbor's goods. And they'll throw a hissy fit and try to destroy everything if you try to make them stop. You're not going to vote out welfare. It's not going to happen until we have our own holodomor, our own starvation, our own die-off. And it won't be, you know, five million people. It be, it could be as many as five billion people. And it's already started. But it's going to ramp up. And, you know, I may not see the end of it. I don't know how long it will take. I'm not going to give you predictions of that. It's not important. What's important is that in this moment, you turn around your thinking. Start going the other way. Start making the sacrifices necessary to open your eyes, to create, to sweep out the corners of your personal temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In order for that temple, that temple to be occupied by the Holy Spirit, you must pull away the curtain and see yourself as you really are. Bring in the light and see the corners of your own selfishness. Because there's a there's more than one corner in your temple. There's more than one hiding place. And legal charity brings in the darkness. Fervent charity brings in the light. You cannot use force and fear and fealty to take care of the needy of your society without bringing about a cause and effect that will bring you back into bondage. You've done that. Now if you want to go out, you have to reverse that process. And become the social security of your neighbor. It's not about, you know, being gathered with people you like. You know, liking people and loving people are two different things. There, There's somebody that I've thought about actually in the last couple of weeks that... I really don't like him. <laughs> Mostly it's my reaction. Because he, I mean like, it was interesting watching these people throwing their temper tantrums in the store and just going, just systematically going down every aisle and just knocking every single package and every single jar off the counters and off the, off the shelves and just ranting and raving like a mad person and you think like, and like I said, it's like the demon. The 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 demon possessed man in the graveyard. But everybody just stood there like, what, 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 what? Nobody said, stop. You know, 
with the power to stop demons. And that's the power you're going to need. You need to stop. These people are possessed. Because they've rejected every bit of light and they've become a habitation of darkness. Hell is empty. All the demons are here. I think Shakespeare said that. But that, it's going to get worse. So you need to put on the full armor of God, which is spiritual armor, and that, that means that you have to be willing to sacrifice your personal comfort, even your personal life, for the welfare of others. And it starts so small. You don't have to jump on a grenade. You have to just be willing to come together patiently. It's like, you know, having a, taking on a responsibility of a living thing. Animals. We've done this with animals. We've taken on responsibility with animals. I've certainly done it with my children and willing to do it with my grandchildren. But uh, all my kids are taking care of their kids. So that my grandchildren just come to visit. <laughs> I don't have to... I didn't raise such lousy children that my children won't take care of their children. At least they're doing that. <laughs> but uh, the, I see a lot of other people and they can't figure it out. There's like that shooter guy. Uh, where was he? Chicago, whatever. Shot seven people on 4th of July. His dad signed to get the gun after he's already said he wanted to kill everybody in the family. Uh, you know, I mean, how far from reality do you have to be to do that? But this comes from years and years of social welfare by the state. All these people, you see these crazy things, the the... the the logic and lack of logic you see. You've taken away the consequences with your social welfare by the state so that the social welfare by the state has actually cultivated this degenerated population that has turned into perfect savages. You you have created the beast, uh, which is just the image of the beast of Rome, which you saw going on in Rome, you're seeing going on today, except for the fact that we can do it in a much bigger way. The collapse of the modern Rome is going to be far worse than anything that we have seen before in history. And it's going to be worldwide. There will be no no places. Everybody would perish. Everybody in the world would perish except for the intervention of God. There is no hope except through the ways of Christ. And we've shown you, look up, uh, commanded at preparing you. Jesus used that word, commanded his disciples. His disciples were going to be the ministers, the ecclesia, the church, to serve the people through a daily ministration of love. And, and he explained to them how this was going to work. You couldn't exercise authority, but you had to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, because there was 5,000 men in their families. That's what you need to do. And we'll show you how to do that. 
join us on the network. It's an email network, then join us on the living network. Then seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the answers will appear. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.